When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. If you ask for a referral, you get advice. If you ask for advice, you get a referral. Somebody messages me and says, hey, Daniel, can you refer me to PepsiCo? I don't know you. Why would I jeopardize my professional reputation on someone I don't know? If in the other side, I reach out to you like, hey, Avery, I came across your profile and, you know, was super impressed with all the experience that you have. Would love to just ask you a couple of questions about your journey. And what happens is that people love to talk about themselves. And what would happen most of, most of the time, if you go that route, Avery will be like, oh, Daniel, so you tell me about, about you. Well, Avery, I'm glad you asked. I'm looking for a job in data analytics. You're probably most likely going to be like, hey, Daniel, I'll be more than happy to refer you because now you've gotten to know me. Welcome to the Data Career Podcast, the podcast that helps aspiring data professionals land their next data job. Here's your host, Avery Smith. What's up, Data Heroes? Avery Smith, host of the Data Career Podcast with another banger, you guys. I'm very excited for this episode. I had my friend Daniel Botero on the show, who's basically been a career coach for a lot of years and has a lot of really good experience, specifically with helping people who are maybe immigrants or minorities in the United States. But a lot of what he says applies even if you're not an immigrant or minority or you don't live in the United States. There's so much gold in this episode about how to set up your resume, how to network on LinkedIn. Hopefully you enjoyed the highlight at the beginning. If you ask for a referral, you'll get advice. But if you ask for advice, you'll get a referral. That's one of the main takeaways I hope that you get from this whole session. Like, Anyways, Daniel is just blowing my mind with a lot of this stuff. And also he goes through in depth kind of about the the lottery system about getting work visas as an international student or international worker inside the United States. I didn't know very much about that. So if that is relevant to you, that's towards the end of the episode. And I think you'll, you'll really enjoy that part. Overall, I really enjoyed it. And I think you guys will enjoy it as well. As always, thank you guys so much for listening. By the way, if you have not attended one of my webinars where I talk about how to land your first aid job, even if you have no experience, do so now. Now is a great time. I actually just redid the entire thing and I made it so you can do it at your own time. So like you're no longer dependent on my schedule, which is really nice. Uh, so if you click the link in the show notes down below, that will take you to the webinar and you'll be able to watch it on your own time. And the cool part is, is I'll actually be there in the chat answering any questions that you might have. So I'm available via chat inside of that webinar. So go check it out if you haven't. It's a pretty cool webinar system too, where it's like really interactive uh, and fun. Like it's not a boring webinar. It's like a fun, interactive webinar. 
I think you guys will really enjoy. If you guys find Daniel helpful, which I'm sure you guys will, all of his links are in the show notes down below. And I am stoked for you guys to listen to this. I think it's going to take you one step closer in your data career journey. As always, if you haven't already, leave a rating and a review for the podcast, especially if you're on Apple. We're falling a little bit behind on Apple. Spotify, we're golden. Apple, we're falling a little bit behind. So this is your call out if you're on Apple device right now. Just hit pause real fast and leave a quick review. Literally takes... 15, 30 seconds. Appreciate all of you guys listening. You guys are data heroes. Don't let anyone else tell you different. And uh, I'll see you at the end of the episode. My guest today is Daniel Botero. He is going to help us learn all things landing a job, specifically if you're an immigrant or someone who's requiring some sort of a visa. Now, don't tune out if you're not an immigrant because we have lots of good tips that will still help you. But if you're you know, international or if you're a minority, you know, you're trying to land a job in the US, we're gonna have some extra good stuff for you today. Avery, thank you, man. So much for having me here. Super excited for us to kind of connect, talk, and, and really just shout out some value to all the listeners here today. Yeah, thank you so much, Daniel, for coming on. I'm stoked to have you here. You have a really interesting story because you know right now you help international minority students land jobs. How did you get doing this? Like, What was your kind of origin story in getting into this world? Yeah, yeah. so I'm originally uh, from Colombia, South America. And I moved to the United States. My dad died when I was really young. And that led to kind of a series of events that from my mom moved us to the United States, just, you know, for many reasons why people try to move to the United States for a better future, you know, for the American dream. And so I came here when I was 10 years old. And for a long time, my mom, for 15 years in a row, my mom was working seven days a week, making like minimum wage, you know, really just trying to make a living. And that led to me saying, okay, you know what? Like she sacrificed everything. I have to make sure that that sacrifice doesn't go to waste. And so that led me to, you know, wanting to go to college because I thought like, hey, if, if, you know, if I want to be successful in America, I need a degree. And that led me to ultimately get a job and start working at a Fortune 500 company, PepsiCo, in their leadership development program. And what was really interesting is that I assumed that if you went to college in America, that you're guaranteed to get a job. And call it naive, colleges, you just don't know better. And because I graduated with like multiple job offers, I thought that was the normal. But what I didn't realize is how many people were actually graduating college and not being able to get a job or the jobs that they were getting, they were actually making more money being a server than they were with that like a full-time job that they were getting. And so that kind of like, I was like super confused about it. And even like, I think about my story of my wife, we've been dating for a long time since 2009. And she's a better student than I was, better GPA, went to a better school, and she struggled to get a job. I'm like, well, if she struggled and she's super smart, like the typical honors AP student, and she can't get a job, I see this being really common. But what really kind of like was like really crazy to me is that I was working at PepsiCo and I was sitting, happened to be a meeting of the leadership team. So all these directors and vice presidents. And there were seated, like one of the topics was recruiting for the, the recruiting pipeline. And they're all talking about how they're struggling to find good talent. And I'm like, not in, I'm not sitting in the board because I don't have a seat in the table, but I'm in this corner, this naive little boy raises his hand and goes like, hey, like, I have a question. How is it that you, PepsiCo, Fortune 50 company, like massive company are struggling to fill 20 spots for your leadership development team, which is what I, it's just. A year earlier, I was in the earlier cohort. I'm like, I don't understand how you're struggling to fill those spots. Like, 
I went to a school, which is the University of Central Florida, and there's over 75,000 students there. How can you not find 20? And you're telling me that you're recruiting from the whole Southeastern United States. And they're like, well, Daniel, the problem is not the quantity of the candidates, it's the quality of the candidates. And I'm like, you like, we just need more people like you. And in my head, I'm like, I know at least 50 people like me. Like, and so that's kind of where it all started, where I was like that aha moment of like, okay, companies need talent. You know, college students are talented, but there's a miscommunication there. How can this company say we're struggling to find talent and how can I have a bunch of friends? I can have my girlfriend or now wife, who's just the hardest working, smarter person I know, struggle to get a job. It just didn't make sense to me. So I said, hey, how about this? I'll go on campus. I have good relationships. I've, I've sucked at everything in life except one thing, and that's building relationships. So I said, I'll go on campus. I know that the person in charge of career services, I'll lead campus recruitment because UCF wasn't a core school. So he didn't have resources. I'll go do it. I'll, I'll do my day job. I'll go do it. They're like, go ahead, go ahead. And they're like, you want to go do it, go do it. Literally, they know that I ended up getting, and there's a referral program, like most companies have it. I ended up the next following year referring 10 out of the 20 people from the management training program, direct referrals from me, and they were paying me $1,500 per, per referral. To the point that HR literally had to cancel the referral policy for people who were involved in campus recruiting. Wow. That led to PepsiCo having to change their core schools and adding Pepsi and UCF to it. So UCF became a core school from that. And since I was already with the relationships, I was already leading it. I ended up leading campus recruiting for a core school because I had the relationships. I was speaking on campus. I was speaking on student organizations. I knew the career service department. They were sending me candidates because I had, I was like, this is what we're looking for. Somebody with work ethic, communication skills. Right? And somebody who has a, like a grit mentality. So if you had those things, like we wanted to speak with you. And so as I was going and doing like info sessions and speaking on campus and how to get a job at PepsiCo, I got promoted at PepsiCo. So now I was managing, like I was driving all around the Southeast United States. So I started reaching out to other campuses saying, hey, I'm going to be in Atlanta in November. Do you mind if I go speak there? And they're like, absolutely. Come right on. So that led to me going and speaking across probably like over a hundred different schools and universities on how to get a job. Because then I realized that not everyone should get a job at PepsiCo. PepsiCo is not a solution for everyone. But the, what it took to get a job at PepsiCo was very, very, very similar, if not the same, on how to get a job in pretty much every other company. Like how to stand out, you know, how to prepare for the interview, how to identify what the company is looking for and all those things. So then that led to me saying like, you know what? Like, I, I love this. I, I love to like mentor students and help them get jobs. Can I do this full time? And then in May, 2018, I said, you know, I always wanted to start my own business. I've always been very entrepreneurial. And my wife was like, at this point, I had to like already help my wife get a job at a bank. She was making really good money and we can live off of her income. She's like, hey, if there was ever a shot for you to start your business, you have a passion, there's a problem. Like we can go live off my income go give it a shot. And so I took the jump and I left PepsiCo to do it. And that's kind of how it all started. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. 
Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. That's awesome. That's such a cool story and, and really like highlights the power of networking, the power of the American dream. And I know I'm grateful that you're a career coach and I know there's lots of your students who are grateful that you do this career coaching thing and you run Opni now and, you know, help literally hundreds of people land jobs all the time. So thank you for giving us that background. That was really insightful. When you're helping these people, when you're talking to people, job seekers, what are some things that like you see over and over and over again? that mistakes that people are making when it comes to the job search. Yeah, no, I think it's interesting. I think the biggest mistake, and, and I think everyone, whether you're a college student or mid-level career looking to make a pivot is here's the problem. The internet has made it so easy for you to apply for jobs. that it's made it so much harder for you to get noticed, right? Like if you just think about this a little bit deeper, it's like if all there's like 79 listeners right now, how many, if I were to say, Hey, I'll pay you a dollar for every job you apply to. How many jobs do you think you can apply to in one week? Thousands. Easy apply yeah. button, right? Like it's just super easy. And so that's what's the happening is that companies are flooded with applications and most of them are not the right fit. It's because candidates are not taking the time to look at if they match their qualification skills to even match if this is where they want to work. It's like a quantity game for them. And I think that's the biggest mistake because if you actually take the time to put yourself in the company's shoes, Every company has limited resources, Avery. Like every company, whether it's Apple, the U.S. government, or a small company like Opni, where we have like 20 employees, we all have limited resources. Not even Apple can go hire every software engineer in the world. They just don't have the, the capital, even if they have billions of dollars in the bank. And so if you think about it in that point of view, every time a company hires, they're making an investment because they can't use that $100,000 to buy a new vehicle, to invest in marketing, or to buy new software, or to hire someone else. They're investing in you. And when 99% of job seekers, or probably even maybe like 90 or whatever the number is, like the majority of job seekers, all they're doing is quantity versus quality, it makes it really hard to find the quality. And I think that ultimately that's what the mistake that people make is that you're focused on quantity. Instead, you should be focused on quality applications. And I think that's where... I think networking, relationship building is important because that helps you stand out in this really diluted sea of applicants and, and it forces companies to use systems and software like applicant tracking system to, to try to manage the vast majority, like the, those large number of applications. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it is so easy with, with easy apply nowadays just to apply to like hundreds of jobs. But yeah, you're often competing that, I mean, it is easy to apply to hundreds of jobs, but in those jobs, you're often competing with hundreds of people because it was also easy for them. It's kind of like one of those things where it's like, if it was easy, everyone would do it, right? And that it is easy. And so everyone does do it and kind of floods the market. Yeah, that's tough. Now, I, I want to go back and, and just point out something that you said earlier that I think is really important, that when you landed your job at PepsiCo and you kind of, you know, maybe some of your friends were unable to land a job, you said something and you, you mentioned it about your wife. You were like, I was not the best candidate. I was not the smartest person. And I just want to highlight that for everyone listening, that like there are people dumber than you landing your job for different reasons. There's not like a direct correlation of how skilled or how smart you are and how easily you get hired. Is that true for, for what you've seen as well? A thousand percent. I think there's a couple of things that go into that. One, the most qualified candidate rarely gets the job. Very, very rarely. You know, as a company, right, when you're looking, if, you, if we go back to that, hey, every time someone gets tired, is an investment. 
anytime you make an investment decision, whether that's going to college, so you're investing in college, or that's investing in the stock market or whatever uh, investment vehicle you want to think of, you look at it as from two variables. What's the risk versus the reward, right? I say this all the time, like jokingly, if Elon Musk closes Tesla and he's applying for a level entry job at Google, would he get the job? He'll be the most qualified, yeah. but the odds are is not because one, the, Google will be like, hey, Elon, like you're overqualified. If we give you the job, you're going to leave in six months when you find a better one, right? And so that's the thing you need to understand. And the second is really hard to get noticed because of the vast majority of applicants. So very, very, very rarely is the most qualified or like the smartest gets the job because of that risk reward equation. Either they never get noticed or if they do, the, the recruiter is always thinking like, hey, he's overqualified. He's most likely you know, looking for another job. This guy probably should make $100,000, but my budget is 75. I know that if I hire Avery, like he's going to continue looking for another job. Yeah. And so that's, you know, that's one of the main reasons why you maybe you should apply to jobs that you feel like are a stretch that maybe you only reach like 70% of the requirements, you know, cause you actually might have a better chance at those. But then also, I think another thing that you highlighted in your story was just the power of relationships, because even let's say, let's say they even want to hire the most qualified person. Like if you're competing against fourth, let's say like, let's say they apply to your company, Opni, you know, let's say you have a job opening and you get 4,000 applications. Like you said, you're a small company, you know, it's going to be really hard for you and your team to go through 4,000 applications. There's a chance that if an applicant, the most qualified applicant in this case, only applied via like the portal or whatever, there's a chance that, you know, they're just a needle in a haystack and their resume might not even get seen. Their application might not get seen. Cause like you said, it is expensive for these companies to hire. It's not just like it, it magically happens. Like it requires that their people's times and there's people's times are expensive. And so it's really important to realize, man, if I can make a relationship, or I think you said the phrase, if, if I can stand out, you have a way better chance of actually getting hired. Yeah. I, I, one of my favorite things to say in this topic is like visibility becomes more important than ability when it comes to getting a job. Visibility becomes more important than ability when it comes to getting a job. I love that. Right. So like some of the things I say is like quality over quantity, visibility over ability. Right now, you need the ability to stay in the job. So I'm not saying like, hey, you don't need to worry about your technical abilities or your soft skills. You're going to need that, but you just don't need to be the best. There's a balance here. Right. And another thing I want you guys to think, take into account is this. Like what percent of people lie or exaggerate on their resume? Go mm -hmm. ahead and Google it. If you're listening to this, all men, go ahead and Google it. And what you'll find is that there's tons of different studies, but none of them go below 75. Some will say 85, some will say 85, some will say 90, right? And if someone's been recruiting for more than two weeks, they'll quickly realize that people lie or exaggerate on the resume because odds are the recruiter who also lied or exaggerated on the resume. So if we know that to be true, because we all embellished it and some more than others, some way more than others, then we understand that your resume is actually the most biased document in the world. All of the good things you've ever done in your life, none of the bad. And a recruiter knows that. A hiring manager knows that. There's a reason why no one has ever gotten a job on the spot just by a resume. There's always an interview. Why? Because you need to double check that the resume is real. You need to double check that the experience, the character, the cultural fit, all that is real. That's why you just don't hire based on resume alone. Now you can interview based on a resume, 
But if I have a good relationship with you, Avery, and I have a spot opening on my team, and you send me a resume, that resume is no longer biased. That resume is as strong and as believable as the relationship that me and you have. So if I believe that you're a trustworthy person, and then that resume is trustworthy, right? And that's why when you can get someone in the company, someone that's doing the job that you apply to, to send your resume to the hiring manager, it's better than anything. Because if I'm hiring for a data analyst, right, and my best data analyst on my team hands me a resume and says, hey, this person is a really good fit for the team. Who better to know if they're a good fit for the team than the best person on the team? So that's why I think referrals and relationships become important because they elevate your resume and it elevates your application and it gives you the visibility that's required. Yeah, I love that. Totally agree. I think some of the people listening would push back on you and they'd say two things. One, well, why would the employee be motivated to refer me? And I, th I think, yep. and maybe I'm wrong. I'm going to speak on behalf of you. Correct me if yep. I'm wrong. But I think the idea would be one, if they're your friend, they'd want to help you out. But two, you kind of mentioned earlier that you made some moolah by referring people and, and companies do have a lot of these referral incentives where the actual employee would receive money if they end up hiring your recommendation, correct? Oh, absolutely. And not just PepsiCo. Somebody told me Accenture, the consulting company, their referral fee that they give their employees is dependent on the level of the role. So the more senior the role, the higher the referral. And if they were a minority, it would be an additional. And if they were a minority female, it would be an additional. So if you actually refer a manager level role and they're a minority female, the referral bonus was $13,000. Wow. Crazy. Come on. Like that's a lot of incentivization. Like, so that's one thing to note. I think the other thing too, like it's really important to understand. Most people do not ask for referral. Most people do not network. And so if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I do that, it's because look, you are the cream of the crop. Not many people are on LinkedIn and care about their career that you're listening to career advice. So like you can't compare yourself to the rest of the population. So you're already, I would say in the top 20% of job seekers who are actively wanting to get better. But even within there, and you're reaching out to people for referrals, like you're like, oh, hey, would you refer me to this job? There's a quote and it's not mine. I wish I can steal it. I wish I can say it was mine, but it's not. It's if you ask for a referral, you get advice. If you ask for advice, you get a referral. Oh, I like that. And you think about this for a second, right? Somebody messages me and says, hey, Daniel, can you refer me to PepsiCo? I don't know you. You're not even taking the time to get to know me or build a relationship with me. Why would I jeopardize my professional reputation on someone I don't know? Yeah. So what I'll do is, hey, thanks, Avery, for, for your message. And I just give you advice on how to get into PepsiCo without my reputation being involved yeah but if in the other side i reach out to you like hey Avery, i came across your profile and you know was super impressed with you know all the experience that you have you're a data scientist and you did all this we'll love to just ask you a couple of questions about your journey and what happens is that people love to talk about themselves especially if you find commonality or if you admire them because people just love it we're ego driven people like we're like it's just part of human nature and what would happen most of, most of the time, if you go that route, Avery will talk about themselves and then we'll, part of human nature will be like, oh, Daniel, so you tell me about, about you. What are your goals? What are you trying to do? Well, Avery, I'm glad you asked. I'm looking for a job in data science, data analytics. You know, the job market is difficult, but I'm, I'm just trying to find a really good company where I can build a, a really healthy career. Avery, you're probably most likely going to be like, hey, Daniel, 
I'll be more than happy to refer you because now you've gotten to know me, I've gotten to know you, and you're incentivized by the bonus. And so that's why that quote is so true. And, and so when I work with clients, I never tell them to ask for a referral. I always say, ask for advice, you get a referral. That's very impactful. And my next follow-up question that I think the audience is asking, what if I don't know anyone? Like, I don't know anyone that I can give a referral. I think you just answered that question. It's like, you don't have to know anyone. There's literally, I think there's a billion people on LinkedIn. Literally, there's a billion people on LinkedIn. So like you have a lot of different options and you know, you can reach out to them on LinkedIn for free. You just got to add a little note to your connection request and you can and, you know, how do you connect with the person? I think the answer you just gave is, you know, maybe a little bit of flattery here and there. Yeah, it's okay. The, the, the best one is commonality. By far, it's commonality. And so that's why your university will say, hey, reach out to other alumni. Why? Because there's a commonality. The more you have in common with someone, the more likely they are to reply to you, right? It's like, if, if your mom were to reach out to you about advice, would you help them? Yeah, why? Because there's so much commonality. She's your mom. There's yeah. like nobody closer to you, right? The second one, if you go on there, and that's where you have to spend time studying the profile, really understanding, like, you know, like their profile and try to be a little bit of a detective, like, you know, a little bit of a stalker to find those commonalities. If you can't find commonalities, then admiration, like something that they admire. If they've accomplished the goal that you've accomplished, like they work in the job that you want to work, that's the best. I, I think to me, that's super awesome. This, like, it's the, the second best. And Here's one thing. Most people are networking with recruiters. I actually think you shouldn't network with recruiters. Like if, if you find them great, I think those, everyone gets targets, recruiters, recruiters generally do not refer because they don't have the same referral bonus. That's their job. Right. I think that the best person, the sweet spot to network with, to get a referral, it's the same people that have the same job title that you just applied to. So if you apply to a data scientist at Exxon Mobil, go on LinkedIn search data scientists, filter by ExxonMobil and the location that you apply to. So Houston, if it's Houston, right? And then message all of those people because odds are you have way more in common with them because, it, you know, they probably did the same major than, than you and they have the job that you want. So you can definitely find the admiration part of it. Yeah. When you do that, remember that you ask for a referral, you get advice. You ask for advice, you get a referral. Cause I got, I can't even tell you how many of those messages I got asking for a referral from complete strangers. And I let them have some of my advice. So you're giving I, them I advice, them. right? I did. I did give them <laughs> advice. Yeah. They're like, Hey, I want to work for ExxonMobil. Can you refer me? And I was like, Hey, I don't know you. Here's my boss. Go bother her instead. Uh, so you gave well, advice though, but that was advice. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't going to refer them. I don't even know if Exxon had a referral program. I'm not actually entirely sure, but, but I totally agree. I think those people are the right people to reach out to. And I'll even take it one step further. Try to find like the newest data yeah. scientists at ExxonMobil because they're the people who are most eager. They're the people who just went through the same process as you. And also this, this is actually really interesting. If that company hired a data scientist recently, there's one out of two things. Maybe they're done hiring data scientists for the next little bit, like they reached their quota or whatever. But a lot of the times they're still hiring and there's really fresh opportunities right there. So yeah. I, I think that's even like a more specific person to try to find. Love it. I want to add a tip to the networking. You know, not everyone's active on LinkedIn. So before you even message them, check their activity yeah. to see yeah. when was the last time. Because I see this a lot like, hey, but Daniel, I'm messaging I'm networking, I message 50 people a week, but I don't get the replies. And I'm like, do you check their activity? And what happens is the longer someone's been in the role, the less they're active on LinkedIn, they're just comfortable. 
And so, and I think that's changing. Link, people are using LinkedIn more and more. Before, you only use LinkedIn when you're looking for a job. So, but yeah, I agree with you that such a great tip on the newest person is a really good person to go after. I, I love that. Now, let's talk a little bit about our international, our minorities, people looking to work with visas or without maybe visas in the United States. How will the job search maybe be different for them? And, and what advice do you have for those sorts of people? You know, I start with a disclaimer. Look, I am not an immigration lawyer. So I am sharing you from my experience. I, I focus a lot on my team and I help a lot of international STEM students. And the reason why it's STEM students is because when you're a student with an F1 visa, which is the student visa, when you're, you're coming to a college in the United States, what the U.S. allows you to do is that regardless of your major, once you graduate, it allows you to have one year of, of, of work permit. And that year is for you to gain experience, to gain relevant work experience. And then from there, you would have to go back to your country. You are a STEM major, right? Uh, then there's such a demand for that. We're going to give you an additional two years to work here. So if you're going to school for data science, data analytics, software engineering, right? You know, statistics, anything that's considered STEM. And the question is whether my degrees consider STEM or not. It depends on your university. So we need to talk to your university. Then you have three years. In those three years, a company can try to sponsor you and you would go into a, a lottery system. And right now, there are 60,000 spots available for everyone. And then an additional 20,000 spots for high educated majors, like if you have a master's in software engineer or data analytics or things like that. So for, for the, the majority of my students, they're available to go after those 80,000 spots. The problem is that there's around 300 to 400,000 people applying for those 80,000 spots. Oh, wow. And so in the U.S. today, as we record, it's a lottery system. The most qualified, the person with the most degrees, the person with the most experience has the same shot as someone with a bachelor's degree. So it is a lottery. And so when a company only has one shot at the lottery, because you, if you, let's say you went to school for marketing and not a STEM marketing, just or like our business management, like a general business administration degree, that's not a STEM degree in most universities, probably all of the universities, right? If a company wants to hire you, you can work there for one year. And then you have to then be selected in the lottery. And the odds of you being selected are less than 25%, less than 30%, depending on the number of applicants. So it's nearly impossible. I won't say impossible because there's always exceptions to the rules and someone can get lucky. It's really nearly impossible for a company to want to hire someone that they deemed a high potential employee to then knowing that even if they love you, there's a less than a 30% chance that you're going to be selected and be able to stay in this country. And so for that reason, it's really challenging for them to stay. So that's why personally for us, we only work with STEM majors because then companies are way more likely to be like, okay, you have three shots at it. The odds of you now getting oh. a, a, a sponsorship is now like 80 plus percent. Gotcha. So with the STEM major, you have three years at the lottery system. And so companies, yep. like you said, it's an investment to hire. So when companies hire someone and, and also keep in mind, it's so like, for instance, if they graduated, let's say in January, you know, but maybe they're applying in June, they've already missed six months. So that that person only has six more months to possibly, you know, before they need to like get approved in the system or whatever. So like, the STEM people that get three chances at it have a much higher chance of staying with the company, staying in the country because of that is what you're saying. Exactly. And so like, and there's two things too, like you can be selected in the lottery, 
but that doesn't guarantee that you get the H-1B. The H-1B is, is a three-year visa that you can then extend for another three years. And then from there, I, I believe at that point, you can then there's a path to residency and then which then there's a path to citizenship. So it would actually take like 10 to 15 years to ever become a citizen wow. <laughs> to go this route. Uh, it's a long process, but many people do it. And, and, and once you become a resident, the only difference between you and a citizen is you can't vote. And obviously, and you don't have an, like an American passport. But from there, like every, you can live your life regularly in America. So like the other thing you have to understand is that the U.S. is protecting its labor market. Like it, as that, you know, for the, for the U.S. government, they want to make sure that the jobs that do get an H-1B are jobs that there isn't enough American residents or citizens mm. to fill those jobs. And that's why they incentivize STEM majors because their companies are saying like, hey, we don't have enough data scientists to fill all the demand. So we need talent from other countries to fill them. So mm. you're never going to see a company sponsoring for a sales role. You don't need a degree to do sales, right? Yeah. Now, there's obviously gotcha. different levels of sales. And I love sales. I started my career in sales too, like sales leadership. But like, there's no sponsorship. So the more technical the role, the more likely it is. Because even if you aren't selected in the lottery, then, then the government now has to hire a lawyer to prove that there's not enough talent for the demand of the jobs. And the, then the government can accept or deny the application. Wow. And so there's websites like myvisajobs.com. This is all free. This is all public information that, that says, okay, for software engineers, as, a, as an example, 99% of applications are approved. For data scientists, probably 99% as well. Like oh, wow. the reason what, that 1% is because they, they probably, the lawyer was a newbie and probably misfiled the form or something. There's a lot of like program or product managers that are not as technical. Those are way more often to get denied. So you see that like being like a much higher denial rate. And so companies are less likely to want to sponsor because they're going to have to invest around $10,000 to pay a lawyer, whether it's an in-house counsel or outside it still costs a lot of money to try to fill the, that, those paperwork to prove. Wow. Okay. That's, yeah, that is difficult. So what can like, what are some things that people do to try to, you know, if you're a job seeker, you're looking for this visa, what are some things that you can do to, inc to increase your chances? I, I, I would guess like there's certain companies that probably have a better track record of working with immigrants and you probably want to target those. Yeah. So like, you know, because the U.S. is again, trying to protect the work, it, it forces all the companies that do this visa to make it public information. And so because of that, you as a job seeker can, can go to companies like myvisajob.com, or there's also like free Chrome extensions that you can attach mm. to your Chrome. And when you're applying for a job, I'll either say this company sponsors, this company doesn't sponsor. Gotcha. And so if I am a listener and I want to apply for a job and I need that H1B eventually, I would suggest only apply for jobs that they sponsor and not yeah. waste my time on the ones that don't because you're not going to get a shot. And if you do get an offer because you lie and say you don't need sponsorship, they're going to take it back in the first day when they realize that you don't have a social security number and you don't have the paperwork required. Yeah, that, that's a good point. So there's a little bit of homework needed to, and, and honestly, maybe it's a little, I mean, obviously it's scary because you want to stay in the US, a lot of people do, right? And and they, you don't want to be kicked out or anything like that. But maybe it also is a little bit relieving in some ways because you have less options. Like you don't have like a thousand different companies you could possibly apply to. You have a subset. Like for instance, my company, Data Career Jumpstart, I mean, it's really only just me. So we don't really hire, period. 
period. Right. But on top of that, like, I don't know anything about the sponsorship and that would probably just stress me out. So like, if you're an immigrant looking for a sponsorship, like you probably shouldn't apply to data career jumpstart. Right. And so there's probably only so many companies you could focus on, which does, I mean, it does limit options, but also gives you direction in some ways as well. I think. Yeah, exactly. Like if a company has less than a thousand employees, odds are they're not sponsoring. They're not willing to go through those hoops. They don't need to go through those hoops. Just Google H1B sponsorship, uh, Chrome extension. I believe it's called like literally the H1B checker. It's free. Or you can go to myvisajobs.com. It will tell you, you can, it ranks the companies with the most sponsorships like Google's, the Amazon's, the Salesforce, all the tech companies. There's a lot of staffing agencies like technology consulting agencies that sponsor. So there's a lot of things there. But yeah, you're right. Just focus on that. Focus on those companies. That's really good to know. Yeah, very impactful, I feel like, just to focus on the right companies because you don't want to be applying to a bunch of companies that would never even really consider you. And I think the job descriptions, a lot of the time, will say like at the top whether they're open to sponsorship or not. So that's good to, to look there too. Okay, sweet. That was very impactful. I just want to go quickly back to one resume tip that you have, just a quick resume tip that you see a lot of people making. You know, the majority of resumes that ever I come across from, even from the point of when I was a hiring manager and even a campus recruiter, and even now when I work with clients directly, is there's a difference between like an achievers and a doers resume. So most people assume that you're putting what you did on your resume. Hey, I did this, 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 and this, and this. In fact, you actually want your resume to be more of an achiever. Here's how what I achieved. And the, the magic's in the bullet points. Like you can always find a really good template. You can, the formatting, all of that, you can get all that. But to me, the, it's like, if you know that every time someone hires, they're making an investment, I want every single bullet point that you have to show me how you either made or saved the company money. And if you could do that and you can show me how you can clearly pay for yourself, then it's a no brainer for me to at least want to interview you. Yeah, that's the really good point. Because like you said, it's when you think about hiring as an investment, it's almost like this company is going to pick a stock out of the literally thousands of different stocks that are available. And the first thing you probably should do when you're going to pick a stock is at least look at the historical performance, right? And if you don't give the historical performance of, you know, of your stock or of you on your resume to the point where it's like, I know what my, you know, what my expected uh, ROI return on investment might be it's really difficult. So if you can be like, Hey, you guys gave me my salary and I made a million dollars, you know, then that's really good. And those numbers are hard to calculate. Sometimes you have to like be creative. I I help a lot of teachers become data analysts. Right. And my teachers are always like, well, I never even work with money. I just work with students. And I was like, well, what if you just took like, you you could be creative here where it's like you figure out, you estimate, or you, you find the actual number with the public school system, like how much it costs to have one kid in school for the year, right? And you multiply, let's say it's, I don't know, $4,000. And then you multiply that by the number of students you have. Let's say it's 10, just so it's easy math. That's $40,000. It's probably more than that, right? But you're like managing a $40,000 project. And then maybe you divide that by nine months and then so you get like a, an actual like number per month because I know school's not all, all year round. Like you can be creative with, the, with these achievements, but having some sort of dollar values on your bullet points, it does make a difference, doesn't it? Yeah, 1,000%. And Avery, like to add to that, there's a couple of things there, right? Like one, guesstimate, right? And this is the importance of as you're doing jobs, internships, to take notes so you can remember this in the future. But two, a company doesn't care so much about the actual dollar amount you save. They care more about the, tr- the train of thought. How did you come up with that solution? 
And that's the same reason why in an interview they ask behavioral questions because past performance are the best indicator of future performance. You don't even have to do dollars. It could be percentages, how much you grew, save, you save time, resources, efficiencies. Like there's so many, like I think you're limited by, we're all limited by creativity on how we can communicate the value that we provide, whether we're saving or making the company money. And the point is this, like even if it's not accurate, just know you need to be able to talk through that bullet point in the interview, right? So if, if you gave a great example of the teachers, then they're going to interview the teacher. If the teacher doesn't know and can communicate how she came up with that number, how does that math make sense? Then they're going to be like, okay, you're lying. You're one of the 75% of people that are lying or exaggerating on your resume. Yeah, that's a good point. This is a total, a total side note. This is super funny, but I worked on a project at ExxonMobil. Actually, I built the whole project when I was an intern. So I, I really just prototyped it. It wasn't really in production. I mean, it, it would work, but it was just kind of a little bit janky. And my whole division was really excited about this. It was like catching momentum. Once again, I did not come up with the idea. I was just kind of like the monkey that actually did it. But I got to present it at like a, a pretty, like a, I don't know, like a an Exxon gala and like the VP came up and talked to me and it was this whole, this whole shindig. And I didn't really know what it's worth was. And other people figured that out for me and stuff like that. Like I didn't have to do that, but I'm not even joking. It was like this tool that I made as an intern was evaluated by Exxon. This is not by me. This is by Exxon at like $2.4 billion or something crazy like that. I know. And I always felt weird putting on my resume when I was looking to leave Exxon because I was like, man, I don't think, I don't really believe this. I don't think other people are going to believe this, but that's what they told me. So anyways, hopefully I wasn't part of the 75%. But I think we all are at any point. And it's not that we do it evilly. I think it just happens. And I think that's why you have to be able to talk through your thoughts in the interview. And it, you might not think it was a $2 billion one, but you are also an intern with a very small, narrow-minded side of what the overall mammoth business it is yeah. right and you don't know that if you were able to save three percent in efficiencies that three percent yeah it's worth billions yeah exactly exactly and and that's just the thing i'd have to explain in an interview is even one percent more efficiency this was a tool that could be used in all downstream refineries which you know produces literally so much oil like if you save one cent on all of that it ends up being a lot so yeah. anyways it's funny i love that achievements thing not doers we want to be achievers i really love that this has been really helpful i really appreciate you coming on the pod to tell us you know what we can do as job seekers to land jobs specifically if you know we're minorities or immigrants you know some things that we could look out for this is really helpful where can people go to learn more about you and what your company does if they want more information honestly just linkedin if you just type daniel botero on linkedin from there, you can learn more about me. You can learn more about my business. You can learn about how I help international STEM students get jobs. Instead of complicating it, go on LinkedIn. If you're listening to this, LinkedIn, you're probably on LinkedIn. Or if you're listening to this anywhere, like LinkedIn it is. Okay, sweet. That's awesome. Daniel, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. If you did, there's a lot more episodes. Literally, there's like 80 other episodes you guys can be listening to. If you haven't heard them, go listen to them. They're all full of gold just like this. I hope you guys really take something away. If it's one thing, I hope you guys take away. If you ask for a referral, you get advice. If you ask for advice, you'll get a referral. I know that's something I'm taking and I'm taking back to the Data Analytics Accelerator Bootcamp and I'm gonna teach them all of that. I wanna make sure that everyone in that program knows that if you ask for referral, you get advice. And that's something we obviously teach inside the Data Analytics Accelerator is how you reach out to hiring managers, recruiters, peers, 
potential coworkers in the future. What do you say to them on LinkedIn? How do you actually send them a LinkedIn message? How do you send them an email if you want to send them an email? What do you say in those messages? I actually literally give scripts that you can copy and paste based off if you're talking to the CEO, like a CTO, like a founder, a recruiter, a hiring manager, whatever. We call it the cold message scripts that's included inside the Data Analytics Accelerator Bootcamp. Just one of the little things I don't get to talk about enough and in my opinion, because that's like so useful. If you guys want to check out the accelerator program, there'll be a link in the show notes down below. And I also talk about it inside of the webinar. It's about a 45 minute to an hour webinar where I'll talk about how to land your, your first data job. I'll give you guys actionable advice. I'll give away one of my number one secrets that I teach in the bootcamp for landing your first data job using a secret method of finding jobs on LinkedIn. And once again, you can talk to me in the chat. Literally, it's me in the chat. So uh, if you guys want to come hang out in the chat room, check out the webinar down below and uh, hopefully I'll see you guys there or another episode. Have a great day, everyone.